So um, we've been talking about this whole area of the art of self-leadership, and we're going to dive into uh, the, whole, the whole question of how can I know, how can I decide or determine as a leader how I'm doing in the area of self-leadership. And uh, there's a few things that I think could be really helpful. And the first one is just to ask ourselves some honest questions, which we're going to spend some time today and tonight uh, doing that. And, you know, I think the key here is honest questions. And are we willing to not only take the time to ask the question, but then, then through some of the reflection time, hear what God says about those things in our life. And that's why... Um, you know, I feel like this can be such a God moment in our life for God to actually, uh, for us to pay attention to what he's speaking to us and the path he, he wants us to walk. And then also just to ask people that we trust, uh, who know us, who love us, and, you know, ask them to speak into our lives and ask them to point out to us uh, places where we need to pay attention. Maybe we're not. Um, to point out to us our blind spots. And there's many times along our life where Michael and I have asked people that we know love us, we know they're for us, we know that they pray for us, and uh, we've asked them, you know, tell us if you see pride. Tell us if I'm out of bounds. And then the third thing is just remaining teachable so that when they do tell you, <laughs> you don't take up defense. Uh, and that you look for the nugget of truth in there. No matter how long we've been doing this, um, you know, we have a filter or kind of a, a basic screening thing that we use in the Duluth Vineyard as people that we're always looking to identify leaders. And really, we're looking for leaders who are people who are fast, faithful, available, servant-hearted, and teachable. And that teachable thing is absolutely... Uh, it, it becomes so huge because if we can't speak into your life, if we can't uh, say, here's what we see or hear God saying, then it's hard to pastor people. And so then as people who are pastoring, you know, who's doing that in our life? And do we have people in our life? And are we teachable? Are we humble enough to say, I know I don't know everything I need to know. I know I don't do it in the most loving way. I know I can grow in this. I know that there's, and you know, there's something incredibly, to me, rich about every time I feel this big growth curve open up in front of me, I'm so grateful because I don't, I'm 52. I don't want to be done yet. I don't want to stop growing. I don't want to stop becoming that person that God's created me to be and calling me to be. And so that whole thing of being teachable, and sometimes there's reasons why we're not, and that's a good place to go and spend some hours with the Father. Why do I get defensive? Why do I get so hurt when somebody, you know, comes lovingly and speaks the truth? Or why does, why do I, why, do I, why am I getting hooked or feeling what I'm feeling right now when, when people are pointing out uh, things that they see in me? So let's talk about some honest questions that we can ask ourselves on a regular basis. Uh, and what's a regular basis? Well, you, you and Jesus have to decide what a regular basis is for you. But at least you could start out, say, quarterly, <laughs> you know, or just pick something on your calendar and carve this into your calendar and just start to ask yourself some of these, some of these questions and, and 
be very as honest as you possibly can. The first one that I want to talk a little bit about is, am I sure of my calling? And the reason why you might think, well, yeah, I dealt with that, you know, 10 years ago, Brenda. Um, all of us have calling. And part of, part of that calling, part of it for each of us is to help others uh, and to lead our local churches and beyond. And to, you know, we, we know that. We know we want to establish these missional communities that worship God, that are a right reflection of who he is. We're making disciples of Jesus. And God wants us to just continually surrender ourselves to that, but also to whatever else he's calling us to. And I'll tell you how this kind of plays out when you've been doing ministry for a number of years. Um, you know, that question, it, it's, being, it's being put to me again in my life right now, after years of, you know, even being a senior pastor in a church. Um, what, what do you, how do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to serve? In our lives right now, Michael moving and transitioning from he and I being senior pastors of our church for the last 16 years and doing it together, um, you know, his transition to spending half or more of his time doing the national church planting director role has obviously caused a major shift in, in roles at our church. And, you know, we essentially we've, you know, lost half or, you know, three quarters of a senior pastor who is a very, very strong leader in our church who's not there now to do some of the things that he's been doing and that we've done together. And Michael's had sort of a, a CEO role and I've sort of had a COO role where, you know, he would say, here's the dream, here's the vision, here's where we're going. And then he would turn to me and say, make it happen. <laughs> And, you know, and I'm the implementer, and I've been implementing, you know, vision for all of these years right alongside of Michael. And so now my CEO is in another meeting, being a CEO somewhere else. And, you know, I find myself trying to wear both of those hats. And about eight weeks in, we're kind of like, ah, you know, we're doing the dipstick test at our senior leadership team meetings and saying, how's this transition going? And, you know, Mind you, our, we went through loads of prayer and counseling with our uh, people just considering to take these roles. We both felt God preparing us for the roles that we're in currently um, over a period of a couple years. And so uh, all of our staff, you know, they all said, yes, we see God doing this in you and we're supposed to step up. So there was lots of confirmation about taking them. Did we think it was going to be hard? Absolutely. Did we know in what ways it was going to be hard? Absolutely not. And so, you know, at eight weeks in, senior leadership team meeting, it always shows up on our agenda. How are we doing? How's the change in roles going? And we're all like, nah, yeah, that's good. You know, 12 weeks in, we're, I'm fine. We're doing fine. You know, and then we kind of quit asking the question after six months. And then, you know, now it's a year in. And a, a month and a half ago, I find myself in my life starting to say, <clears throat> starting to feel the pressure, <clears throat> excuse me, of being him and me, um, and that I don't wear Michael very well. It's kind of, you know, the gifts that he brings are ill-fitting for me. It's not who I am. And so, um, you know, I'm starting to hear things like, oh, why don't you just work out of the office today? You know, you could go study somewhere else. Or... I'm not sure if I can go to that meeting, because if I go to that meeting, someone's going to make me make a really hard decision, and I just don't, I don't want to make a hard decision today. And I started to feel these red flags. And then over a few weeks, I realized I was feeling some even mild depression about 
this new role and how I'm handling it and the fact that it feels like it's stretching me in places where I can't sustain that, you know, long, long term. And so, you know, I just went to talk to Michael and then I talked to our SLT and I just said, you know, this isn't my calling to be Michael and Brenda. And so I'm in this place right now where, and they're fantastic people and they'll do whatever it takes to help us walk through this and we'll make the adjustments we need to. But their first question to me is, Brenda, what are you called to? You know, and how, how what, is, what is now? What is God calling you to now in your life? So you can see how at different times in your life, it really doesn't matter how long you've been doing this, your calling, you know, changes. What's it now? What's the new calling? What's the deeper calling? Because it changes over time and in different seasons of our life. And I think that we sort of think that, well, you deal with that, you know, early on when you start ministry. And then in the first few years, your calling gets tested, doesn't it? Because stuff happens and you're not sure if you want to keep being called to um, this because it's hard. And, you know, sometimes the cost feels too high. And so then... You, you sift through, you sort through your calling, and then you feel called again. Uh, and, you know, my first calling was to follow Jesus, and then I felt called to be a youth leader. I thought I was going to be a youth leader until I was 90 years old, and they were all going to love this 90-year-old youth leader. <laughs> um, and and that, was a, that was in the Baptist church that I was in. Uh, I led, you know, Awanas, I led junior hires, I led some high schoolers, and then I felt called to full-time ministry and Michael and I felt that together, included, you know, church planting, included pastoring, and then out of that came this deeper calling to uh, reach people for Christ, to offer healing, to cast out demons, to raise up leaders. I remember the day that I realized that I was called to preach as a woman, uh, which, you know, that shook me to the core of my little Baptist girl roots. Uh, And then I felt called to pastor other pastors as an area pastor for five years in our region. And then a few years ago, I felt God call me to say yes. Um, Sort of my preparation for regional leader looked somewhat like this. He said, I want you to say yes for a season. Every single time that I'm asked to, you know, speak or go somewhere and teach or preach. And, you know, normally you always say, well, I'll pray about that, right? God said, you don't have to pray about it. Just say yes. Uh, And so for a a season, I I had some very nervous moments preaching, uh, for instance, in John and Eleanor Mumford's church with, uh, you know, him sitting in the front row. And it is a lot of work to try to not sound like a stupid American to a brilliant person like John Mumford. That'll put me under the table. And then, you know, um, I went to Sugarland and did something there, and they asked me to teach, and Bert Wagner was the national director in Sugarland, and I just imagined him sitting there, like all ears, making sure, you know, to see if I had the right theology. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew I wasn't that deep the- theologically. And, and then, of course, uh, some months later, after Phil was appointed as the national director, I'm out in Maine for something else, and, and Janet's like, Phil, Brenda should preach in our church on the weekend. And so I end up preaching in his church. All of these experiences are part of my calling. They're part of, uh, you know, preparing me to be a regional leader. And a few years ago, I sounded a lot like Moses, uh, you know, begging God to pick Aaron. 
Only I would, I use Michael's name, you know, like, pick Mikey, he likes it. (laughs) But God was calling me, he was preparing me to be a regional leader. And I felt like I was in this pressure cooker and I had to really go through some very specific, um, like, breakthroughs personally to help me get ready for the road ahead. Uh, and, you know, I had, I had my, my meltdown last night, because you guys are, you know, what's difficult for me about being your regional leader and speaking is that you guys are my peers and my mentors. You, you're the people who have taught me how to do ministry and who I've done it alongside of. And so um, that's a hard calling to, you know, to offer any kind of uh, wisdom <laughs> to you because I see you as the wisdom kings and queens. Uh, and so, um, you know, but you become this, I had to ask myself, what am I called to? What's my calling? Who asked this of me? Uh, you know, and, and focus. And, and you become this person when you, when you hear God and you embrace your calling and you remind yourself of your calling. You become this person on a mission that has this whole new growth curve that opens up in front of you, which is what makes you feel alive. How dead is it to same old, same old? I mean, we have struggle, we struggle enough with the mundaneness of this all, but we have to be sure of our calling. And it's, it's not uncommon for us to forget or for the enemy to like chip away at our calling uh, and when God was sure that he had, like, Moses' undivided attention with this burning bush, the first thing he talked to him about was his calling and his identity around that burning bush. And probably the best work that I've read recently um, on what she refers to as the con- condun- this is a really hard word to say, conundrum of calling um, is in the Ruth Haley Barton's book, Strengthening, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. She, she depicts through the story of Moses how our calling comes directly out of our identity and our story. Like, my story is where my calling to become a regional leader came from. My story of being a little girl in a Baptist church where women were not uh, encouraged in anything except to play with children and serve children. That's, that's part of my calling. That's part of my identity. It's part of who God made me to be. And out of that comes vision. Out of my identity and my story comes vision. And it's impossible. Here's what's fascinating to me. I figured this out in the last year or so. It's impossible to have much vision when you're not sure of your calling. And I know we ask church planners and people that are setting out for, you know, a course to write down their vision, but honestly, some of them don't even know that they're called yet. And that's why they struggle to write a two-year vision or a two-year plan, because I keep seeing how much this is true. Or, you know, I've watched all the young people on our staff, and aside from our own story, I've watched them all say, yeah, I'm going to do this, I'm called to this, and then, man, the cost is there, the sacrifice is there, and they all go have to have that conundrum of calling 
experience where they have to wrestle with and decide, really? Is this what you want me to do for the rest of my life, God? Full-time ministry? Because there's a lot of things that, that would be easier and pay more. Right? And, and, and not require so much character. Who's going to be watching my character if I'm, you know, a manager at the plant, the canned bean plant, right? I mean, it's, it's the whole house of glass thing that a leader is in. And so we wrestle with, we go through that thing where we're, we're saying, God, are you sure? I'll do, and you know, that's why we say sometimes, you know what, if you can walk away, walk away. If you can do something else, then maybe you should. And it's because of that calling thing. I mean, if we have to talk you into it, you know, then maybe you're not called. But God has to work that through with you. And um, I keep seeing how much I'm like Moses. He, he asked God, what if they don't believe me? I'm preaching to myself here now, right? Because uh, earlier this week, on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, I woke up, uh, and the first thing I thought of before hello was uh, a huge lack of confidence about being here this week and speaking with you. And I haven't felt that strong a lack of confidence for a number of years. And uh, so as I was asking some people to pray for me and praying through it, you know, the Lord said to me, he goes, Brenda, what is your greatest fear? And this is me, and I, this is where I'm, I'm, I'm Moses, you know. What if they don't believe me? Uh, and the Lord says, well, what is your greatest fear? And I had to, it was hard. I had to figure out and name it. And I finally realized my biggest fear is that these very wise and smart people who I respect deeply and love deeply are going to go tilt their head and go, huh, she's not that smart. And she, huh, she's not that deep theologically either. And you know what the Lord, as I just said that to the Lord, he just ministered to me. And you know what he said to me? He said this. And, you know, when God says something to you, it just goes right to that place that only the Holy Spirit can go, which is why I value these times when the Lord's speaking to you in our reflection. Because I know it goes to a place that actually does something and heals something in us. And he said this to me. He goes, well, first of all, I think you're smart enough, and I think you're deep enough theologically. But more importantly than that, there's other things that you're even better at than those things that are more important to me. And it just lifted off of me. But I was having my Moses moment. You know, what if, what if they don't believe me in Exodus 4, 1 and 9? And when he mentions his inadequacy, God says, who gave you your capacity for speech in the first place? Like, who made your mouth? Right? And, and I will be your mouth, and I will teach you what to say. And so the answer to all of Moses' concerns about his calling, about what God was asking him to do, uh, you know, was really simple. And here's what it is. The people will follow you because you have met me, because you stood here in this burning bush face-to-face -face with me, because you know my name deep in your being, that is what qualifies you to be a spiritual leader. And that is why people will be willing to follow you right out of the place they've known for so long to the place that it's brand new.
So when you think about your own leadership, where's God asking you to lead people? Where's the new, the brand new, the out of Egypt? Maybe your church, you know, isn't taking enough risks. Maybe that's your brand new. I don't know what it is, but God will tell you where you're supposed to be leading your people. And what qualifies you to be the spiritual leader is the same thing that qualified Moses. The same thing I hear God tell me is that it's, it, the, it's because you know my name deep, deep in your being, because you've received my love like we did last night, and, and they see that in you, and they know that you have met me. You've been face-to-face -face with the Father. They see that in you, and that's what qualifies you to lead people. Ruth Haley Barton says, leadership, I love this, I love this quote and all that it embodies. Leadership, even at its best, is terribly demanding and it is crucial that we argue out our ambivalence about our calling to leadership openly with God so that it doesn't leak out and create uncertainty in those we are serving. Whew, that just, it goes, <laughs> that gets to me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to create uncertainty. In, the, in those that I'm serving. She goes on, the soul of leadership begins with who we are, really are, not who we think we are, not who we would like to be, not who others believe us to be. God's call includes, yet is not limited to, the particularities of our life, our heritage, our personality, our foibles, our passions, and deepest orientation, and even our current life situation. Being called by God is one of the most essentially spiritual experiences of human existence because it is a place where God's presence intersects with a human life. Our calling emerges from who we really are in all of the rawness and sinfulness of it as well as in the glory and God-givenness of it. Your calling, my calling comes from that that voice that I need to hear in here, that calling me to be the person that I was born to be, to fulfill that, that original selfhood that's given to me since I was born by God. My calling is just a question from God. It's, it's simply a question that I have to expose myself to. I have to respond to, and, and I have to even kneel before it and ask for the fear of God to get on it. Greg Lavoie wrote in his book called Callings, you don't want an answer that you can put in a box and set on a shelf. You want a question that will become a chariot to carry you across the breadth of your life. That's deep. And it's hard. It's hard to keep Answering a call, it's hard for me to keep answering a call that continually takes me like right out here at the, at the edge of my faith, at the edge of all of my human limitations. <laughs> you know, my calling just keeps 
pushing me out there to the edge of my humanity. My, I'm so human. And our human limitations, they just start to break down the clarity of our calling. I had that moment last night in my room. You know, my human limitations. You know, I'll tell you, to be completely honest, you know, I wanted a perfect retreat, doggone it. And the Lord said, what are you thinking, sweetheart? You really think you could do a perfect retreat? Come on now. There's no perfect retreat. Brenda, why are you taking responsibility for a perfect retreat? And so I just repented and said, okay, I'm done with that. I can relax now and have fun. But it was a clarity of my calling, because what am I called to? I'm called to come here and ask you to come into God's presence and hear his heart over your life. And if you have that experience, that is all that matters. Besides, you only remember 10% of what I say anyway. <laughs> but that's why sometimes, you know, you, we start to feel resentful, because our humanity, our human limitations, they start to break down at our calling. They start to confuse and disorientate us. But that, that true leader is the one that's going to come back to the, that question and has heard that question from God. Because God is asking you, he's asking me, will you rise to that full purpose of why I put you here on earth? Do you get that, Brenda? Do you get that? Like, will you be the one who, who maybe you have to see that vision of what could be, of, of what, what, what will you be? And, and will you be the one who's going to continue to take the steps in that direction and take the risks to go to the places that God is calling you to go? And here's the, here's the clutch against all odds. Because it's going to be hard. And it, it's, it, that was the word I used last night when Michael said, are you all right? I mean, it's hard. <laughs> I don't want it to be hard. How am I supposed to have fun when it's so hard? <laughs> what, are, what are the odds? What are your roadblocks? What are your obstacles? You know, what, it, what is facing you from getting to and being the person that God is, the, you know, it's our human limitations. And then we start to think, well, maybe I'm not called, right? So on a somewhat regular basis, I love how much this is ministering to me. <laughs> on a somewhat regular basis, I need to ask God, God, remind me again. What is my calling? Who do you say that I am? John Wimber said, old orders are standing orders. What has God already said to you that you're forgetting? You know, and can I just say that oftening, you know, I, often pastoring, what, it, what I found out after 25 years of this is it means being faithful to things that really do seem old and mundane. I mean, have you ever noticed that? I mean, I think some of the best leaders that I've followed and, and pastors are the ones that simply keep doing the same thing, the main and the plain, over and over and over to more various people. I mean, does the gospel change? No. The message doesn't change. Well, I'll tell you the truth. Our flesh gets bored with that. 
My flesh cries out for something new. I want something shiny. I want something flashy, not old, not done. I've not been there, done that before. And so in the church, as Christians, as pastors, as leaders, sometimes we want something shiny and new. And so it makes it hard. And at times I feel really unmotivated and I'm bored with my own teaching. I don't want to hear my own voice. Say, teach the same healing class. And, or the same, you know, discipleship class for the umpteenth time in 20 years. And then I go and I teach. I ask God, you, God put your, well, you better put your spirit in me here or else, you know. <laughs> it's going to be bad. And I'm complaining inside my own head and stuff. And then I go and I teach. And I see the Holy Spirit come. And I see this gal start crying and I go over there and I, I ask her story during ministry time and I find out that, you know, she's only been a follower of Jesus for one month and she's, you know, in this really rough marriage and she, her friend led her to the Lord who's been learning how to be a disciple and learning how to love her, her friends to Christ and so she's, she's the doing what we've taught her and then here's her friend and she says to me, I'm so grateful that I'm learning about the Holy Spirit, or I'm so grateful that you're teaching me about how to, how to fight the devil and how to, how to get rid of demons, because I get to walk the rest of my life now experiencing God's presence. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm so glad I showed up. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, sign me up, Lord. Sign me up for another month. <laughs> you know, help me be faithful. Help me be faithful to the main and the plain. Because here's kind of a warning sign. When you feel bored, I would just say this. Be very, very careful. And it's not a good time to make a major decision. Because, uh, you know, boredom should not be your main motivator for doing something new. And it might be a signal. It might signal something. <laughs> but by all means... You know, go get in God's presence, spend time asking him, why am I feeling this way? I don't have grace for the call that you've given me. I don't want to see these people. I don't want to love them like Jesus. And I don't want to build a false public self. And I need your help. And I don't want to do anything stupid. Why am I feeling this way? And so for me, it's this warning sign. It's this red flag, really. Uh, and, you know, that's the day that I don't feel like it's a privilege to do what I'm called to do. That's my red flag. So just learning how to let God, you know, satisfy our needs, get my vision, get my calling aligned again with what he wants. And, I'm, and then I'm Okay. I'm okay today. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm okay because I'm going to forget like all the other temptation distractions that come my way. I'm going to get on with the business of doing what God has called us to do this week. And as a leader, that's my responsibility. It's your responsibility to keep being assured of your calling. So the first question, am I sure of my calling? tackle another one. That's my longest answer to the question. 
The next question that we need to ask ourselves is, is my passion hot? This has to follow the vision, because like, I don't have any passion if I don't have the vision and the calling thing. So it flows out of. Jack Welch, the CEO, the leader of General Electric for 20 plus years said this, people in leadership have to have so much energy and passion that they energize and impassion everyone around him. That's funny, he was the CEO of General Electric. <laughs> energize. <laughs> Never made that connection before. I totally agree with that, because I, I know in our churches, when we're looking for leaders in our church, I'm not looking for people who don't express the, the, the passion of Jesus. I don't want to look for leaders who just sort of, you know, lukewarm and wishy-washy about Jesus. I'm looking for those people who actually light everybody up around them, right, and, and reflect that part of God's heart. And in Romans 12, 10 through 12, it says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. That's my new refrigerator verse, I just decided. Galatians 4:18 says, it is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. Jesus carried with him the zeal of the Lord, which he, we see multiple times in, in, in uh, the New Testament stated, or in the Old Testament stated like this, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We see that a lot, that it's by God's zeal that things happen. That's how God accomplishes stuff. So the passion and the, and the zeal that Jesus received from God it, it helped him accomplish his call on, on his life, to lay down his life. There's no way he could have gone through the crucible if not for the zeal that God put in his life, the passion. Whose responsibility is that? Whose responsibility is it to keep a pastor or a leader's passion and zeal hot? Well, you know, is it church statistics? Is it getting your metrics every week? Is it... Is it your spouse's job to pump you up before you go in the ring? No. Is it, is it your friends? Is it your AP? It's not me. As your RL, I'm not responsible. God told me that. No, it's your responsibility. As we said, you're not responsible for the perfect retreat or your zeal. It's your responsibility. It's the leader's responsibility. That's a major part of what self-leadership is all about. And, and that's why Jesus would slip away so often. Since all of us are leaders, it means it's our job. It's our job to keep our passion hot. It's, and pa passion's not, this is not what it, it's not necessarily just this hype. This, you know, okay, I gotta be the most hyper person in the room. Why did I sound ethnic? I <laughs> sound like from the hood. Like, um, <clears throat> No, it's more, it comes from the word, the word passion comes from the Latin word pati, which means suffer, to suffer with. There's a relationship between those who are suffering and passion, the passion of the Christ, the suffering of Christ. Matthew 9.36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so praying for that strong, almost uncontrollable emotion for the people that you're leading Pray that God would wake up 
and arouse your enthusiasm. And I think if you do the calling thing first, uh, you're going to see this come right behind it because there's this gap sometimes. There's a gap between like what, what we're called to do and then the enthusiasm to actually do it. And, and that happens on a day-to-day basis. And so then when I start receiving this, this renewed compassion, you know, my, my zeal rises up out of that place, and then I'm motivated to just keep going. And you'll be motivated to keep shepherding the sheep really well. And so we need to do whatever it takes to make sure that our passion stays hot and do that. And to do that, we need a plan. And I would just maybe call it your hot passion plan. Now, don't let that... Don't let that make your mind wander. <laughs> but what's, your, what's your hot pastor's passion plan? I don't know. Maybe not. Okay. <laughs> but for me, it's receiving something from the Holy Spirit. That's, that, that will get me there faster than really a, any book or, or conference. It's another, it's another thing to go to Jesus for. Another question that we can ask ourselves is, is my character totally submitted to Jesus? And I think that we'd probably all agree this is a major part of Christian leadership that we have godly character because people, followers, they have to see enough godly character and integrity in a leader's life, you know, so that high levels of trust, that's what this is about, high levels of trust can be built with that leader. I'll tell you something, Steve Nicholson told me once uh, years ago, he said, humanly speaking, the truth is all that we... Steve's like, what did I say? He's like leaning in. Wait for it. The truth is, all that we really have that keeps the wheels on the church, all that we really have is trust. Isn't that interesting? Like if people don't trust you as a leader, then they pretty quickly withdraw and they stop coming to church. And even if it's something that's not true about you, because this has happened in, in our life, and that's when Steve and Cindy were counseling us through this. Somebody was telling lies about us in the church years ago. And, and even though the lie wasn't true, those lies they, they, that they, people spread about your leadership, the question, it, it creates a question of trust. And when that happens, the doubt is, is our, it's just like dumping doubt on you and your church, and that's enough for lots and lots of folks to stop attending church. They don't owe us you know, their allegiance or their loyalty to our community of faith or to us. It's something that we earn through trust. And a leader doesn't have to be, you don't have to be the most charismatic person in the world or the smartest person, but people will not follow a leader very long if they identify serious character flaws in us. And you know, and honestly, here's what I would add to that if we're not addressing them. Because I have character flaws. But if I'm addressing them and I'm uh, saying, look, I'm not good at this, but I'm growing. Would you help me grow? Would you come around me? And, you know, I have found that I lead quite a bit out of weakness pretty effectively because people can follow you if they know you're being authentic and honest and they can trust you and they see that you are on a spiritual journey with them, and you, aren't, you haven't got there yet, but you're going. You know, I say it all the time to people, good, good grief, I am not completely set free of my you know, 15-year food addiction. 
but I am on, I'm going in a direction. I'm, my feet are pointed, and I'm going to keep getting up and going, and I know that one day I'll be set free. I can't stand here and say I'm free, but I will be set free. Will you come along with me to your freedom too? So it's, it's uh, the leader's job to grow in our character. So you have to be addressing these things. And of course, this really boils down to self-leadership because no one else is going to you know, keep us going back to Jesus for an overhaul on our character development. Who's going to do that? So some of the most important elements of our character as a leader, there's four things we're going to hit here, and then we'll go into our examine. And you guys have written sermons and done mountains of study on these things, so I'm not going to do that. But under each thing, we're just going to ask ourselves some questions. And I had these printed out in your book so that you can maybe go do some, um, you know, some work with Jesus about these areas. <clears throat> and the first one is just love. And I would even, I don't know if my questions here really... Um, what, one of the things that just, it comes in on me, like, just, I mean, it's the Lord and the Holy Spirit coming in on, on I think, our church right now about learning what does it really, 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 really look like to be somebody who receives the love of God and walks in it, who's really receptive, who knows deep in their heart that they're loved. Um, but do you have a, a complaining spirit? You know, especially when others do not meet your expectation. And do you carry hidden anger against anyone? Do you speak unkindly concerning people when they're not there? Have you recently extended yourself toward the poor, the imprisoned, the sick, the elderly? Uh, those are all expressions in the Bible of true biblical love. So do you see those things coming out of you? Are you intentionally building at least one friendship with a non-church person, like reaching out to people who aren't like you? Are you genuinely joyful person to be around most of the time? And these are kind of just some uh, litmus test kinds of things that you can kind of take before the Lord and, and talk to him about. I asked Adine to come. She's going to just share this little cool little testimony about, um, you can come right down here, Adine, because there's a mic right there for you. And Adine is from our staff. Uh, her and her husband came from Northern Ireland almost five years ago now, for a one-year internship. <laughs> and um, one of the things, these, these guys have just the most, I've seen few people make as many sacrifices as they have to do what God wants them to do and to be obedient. And I love Adine's heart because she's a fighter and she gets, you know, these little resistant things in her, but then she always goes to Jesus and she always learns where he wants her to. And so she and I were talking the other day about how the Lord was calling her to do something. And I said, you got you to share that story because it partly has to do with um, just what we're trying to help you guys experience this week as well. So, so to key, the key to that is don't talk to Brenda if you don't want her to hand you a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly kidding. Anyway, so on our staff, we have a monthly um, staff um, devotions. And so my husband, Sammy, and I have a one-year-old, so we tag team who gets to go to the devotions and who gets to hang out with Oliver. So it was my turn to go, 
and John Clear was leading it this week. And I walk in and sit down and think, something's up. He has an air horn. And that's not really a normal thing in staff devotion. So anyway, I, my signals are at high alert. And so next thing he says is, we're not just going to do staff devotion today. We're going to do a practical thing. And I'm like, okay, I can be okay with this, I think. So he started talking about doing an exam. And next thing I know, we're being dismissed and sent out and at our church building we have woods to the back and to both sides and he said so what I want you to do is practically go out and talk to Jesus and experience him and I was kind of like okay this is a little awkward and every time I experience that I go it's because I'm not American (laughs) so I'm going to embrace the Irishness inside of me and I'm going to go with it and so everybody I'm looking around the other staff and they're like yes we're going to go experience Jesus and nature and I'm like oh, okay. And so I walk out the back and I'm kind of dragging and I get to the woods and I am not a nature girl. And for some reason I end up in Minnesota where there's bears and wolves and all kinds of everything. So, And there is a black bear that wanders around our woods. So I'm like, oh, and I'm digging my toes in and I'm just kind of like, God, what am I doing? What are you doing here? I, I get that everybody loves this exam and stuff and I don't. I really don't. And I'm looking around and everybody's like, yes. Or it seems to me they're like, Holy Spirit, this is awesome. And they're looking at the the leaves and they're looking at the trees. And I'm like, oh, God, help. (laughs) Like, how long do I have to stay here before I can go back inside at a reasonable time? And so I am. I'm literally just like peeling at the bark and thinking, oh, gosh, it's been two minutes. (laughs) And so... In that moment, like Brenda says, there's this stubborn thing in me that's like, fine, you stuck me in the woods. Okay, Jesus, if you have something to say to me, say it. And at that moment, it was like Brenda described, it's like the Holy Spirit just boom, hit me. And I looked at the ground and I see this piece of bark and it's laying there. And I'm like, yeah. And God's like, yeah, pick it up. I picked it up. And in that moment, he said, Like he highlighted, this is how you feel. Like this piece of bark that's laying on the ground, it's no longer part of the tree. It's not even really a living organism anymore. And I was like, oh, Jesus, I love it and hate it when you highlight how I feel. And that's exactly how I felt. Um, That's my son right over there. (laughs) And we have prayed and prayed and prayed, and he is a miracle given to us from God. But with being a pastor and being in ministry, if you're a woman and you have a child, all of a sudden it looks different to how you do life because your number one priority becomes your kid. And so we'd been living through that and how I experienced doing life as a pastor and as a mother. And then right alongside of that, the plans of the past 12 months, should I say past five years, yeah. <laughs> have always been thrown up in the air and every time we feel like we've got a direction like something comes and cuts it down and obviously God is in control but I looked at it and I thought God I feel discarded like I'm a mother now that's my first priority I'm living in Virginia Minnesota I should make that clear I said to somebody yeah we drove from Virginia and they thought the state (laughs) and I was like no and are further north from Duluth and that is not somewhere I ever thought that I would live. I (laughs) didn't even know it existed until about 12 months ago. (laughs) Um, But there, there we are, and we're working in this tiny little church plant, and 
this big organization of Duluth Vineyard, which has a ton of people, and I was on staff there, and I knew everything that was going on. Suddenly, that, that's not my position anymore, and I'm sent to Virginia to work with Pete and Tyron, who are awesome, but there's like 30, 40, 50 people that are the core of this church, which God is doing awesome stuff, but that's not what I wanted. And so I'm looking at this piece of bark and feeling like, oh, Jesus, I, I don't even feel important anymore. Why don't I just pack my ba- bags and go home? Because I'm not doing anything. And I felt like in that moment, the Holy Spirit said, I haven't discarded you. Like, I have set you apart. I have chosen you. And he's like, and why don't you turn around and enjoy it? The colors were just at their peak at this season. And I look, and the trees have, like, every color of leaf in in your imagination. And I felt like he said, even in the midst of feeling completely discarded and thrown apart, like I have gifts for you in the same array of colors of leaves that I'm going to use with you even as you are a mother and even as you're embracing what ministry looks like on the Iron Range. So, and we're having number two. So I feel like this is very appropriate (laughs) because I'm going to learn to do ministry with two kids who are under 18 months. (laughs) So it's going to be an adventure. But like I share this just to say this examine stuff is, it's not really my thing. But when I submit to God and say, okay, this is really uncomfortable. This is not what I would choose to do. He really, like he really has something sweet and important to say to each of us. Thank you so much, Shadine. <laughs> Love her heart. Humility is the second most, one of the, one of the most important elements of our character. Humility, love, humility. Again, we got these kind of litmus test questions. Do you put on a pretense of being something that you're not? Can you receive constructive criticism without being overly defensive? Or are you overly concerned about your title or your image or your status? Are you concerned about receiving credit for your ideas or your leadership role, your, your, your contribution? That's one thing I loved about that examine yesterday. Um, you know, are you doing a lot of ministry and you feel like God doesn't notice? You know, do you feel like you need noticed, receiving that from God and not from others. Have you intentionally been performing any secret acts of service in recent days? And are you in any setting where you are a follower instead of a leader? So humility is just is this major part of our character as leaders. Who wants to follow a proud leader? I mean, we've all seen that in people, and we've disdained it. We don't like it. It sticks out like a sore thumb, right? People don't want that. They don't want a, a leader that's, you know, looks so perfect. And I mean, I've, I've heard many times in, from vineyard leaders say, be really, be aware of somebody who looks per- perfectly polished. There's something wrong that you don't know about. They're hiding something because it's not, there's no humility in that. And then purity and self-discipline. Um, you know, how, how are we doing this? Uh, do you allow impure thoughts about sex to stay in your mind, or are you getting enough rest and practicing the Sabbath? Is that a discipline? Is your life marked by too much noise or busyness or hurry? Yes. You know, we all have to say yes to that sometimes, and then slow down your pace. That's what God's telling me, like, 
Slow down your pace. My, my big thing is that, you know, I have a difficult time keeping up with my husband because he has a fast pace and he thrives at that. And something in me wishes I could, but I can't. And the Lord constantly says, be you. Be, slow down your pace, Brenda. That's much more uh, my heart for you. Nurturing relationships is a discipline that you need to turn into a habit. If you want to become a person with a rich and rewarding uh, life and character, you, you have to nurture some friendships. And that's it's hard to do as a leader because it is isolating, but it's not impossible. And I'll tell you something, I would not do this without it, without a few people in, in my church that I could trust. That can I, They don't care how ugly I get. They'll pray for me and get me right back to the feet of Jesus. And I think that you should seek those out um, and find those people and discipline yourself to do that. You know, this thing about purity, I'll tell you my, um, here's what, what happens in my mind when I see a moral failure. And a few years ago, we had this in the vineyard at the RL level. Um, there was a couple of moral failures. And, uh, you know, the first thing I thought was, where were their friends? Where were the people in their life that would say, something's not right? Something's going on. I'm sorry, but I have to ask you a hard question. Something's not right. Is your life pure? Can I be that person to take the risk to say, I love you enough to say something's not right? You know, you need friends. I need friends in my life that can... There's not any role-playing in that relationship. I'm honest, I'm transparent, I'm vulnerable with those people. And we need to be good enough friends that we will say those hard things to people. I love you enough to ask you, maybe be the only one to ask you about purity. And accountability is great, but sometimes people have a lot of role-playing going on in accountability relationships. Will you be my accountability partner? Well, that's great as long as it's honest and transparent and working, right? Um, and then, you know, that kind of leads to, do I need to repair or, or re refresh any relationships? Do I have a band of brothers or a yaya sisterhood? Um, you know, I'm, am I investing in, in personal community? I have to tell you, one of my pet peeves is that as pastors, we are called to build communities, right? Healthy communities of faith with Christ in the center and make disciples. We're not very good at doing community ourselves sometimes. And I, I got to ask myself, honestly, is God going to bless all the work of my hands and my heart to try to establish a, a healthy, transparent community if I won't do community Myself? I mean, this is the fear of God, you know, coming and asking me this. Because every time I try to go through something by myself, and then it doesn't work, I try to pray for myself, cast out my own demons and stuff, and, you know, in the mirror, and it doesn't work. And then I, I come to my sisters and the Lord, my brothers, and I'm like, you guys, I suck at this, praying for myself, self-surgery is... Ugh, lame. Will you guys pray for me? And as they're laying hands on me, I hear the Lord say to me, Brenda, don't you ever forget what it feels like 
to have these people lay their hands on you and pray for you as a leader. Because if I'm going to ask everyone else to do it, and I'm not willing to do it, I have a hard time, and this is not, I don't even know if it's in the Bible, but I have a hard time believing that God's going to bless all of my efforts to build a healthy community. There's a gap. You have to close that gap. Self-leadership is about staying connected to community, and I think that means other leaders, our larger vineyard family, and I'll tell you, I've had pastors tell me, I'm fine in my church, but when I get in a room full of pastors, I feel this, or I feel that, or I feel insecure, or I compare myself to each other. You got to press in, press through. If you see somebody withdrawing from the larger vineyard family, go over there and say, come with me, I'll sit with you. We'll pray through your insecurity, but you need this family. If you isolate, you will get taken out. And I love you enough. I don't want that to happen. And then the fourth word is integrity. When, when surveys are taken about what it is that inspires a follower to believe they can follow a particular leader, especially over a long period of time, near the top of the, every list is integrity. Have you followed through on your promises? You know, is your word to other people completely reliable? Do you have a thankful heart toward God, frequently acknowledging his blessings, his goodness? Are you honoring God with your finances in your personal life and in your leadership? Are you seeking to live the kind of life that you urge or teach others to live? Steve, I'm going to invite you to come. I know we're going a little bit long. Does anyone have the time? What? Okay. So we're fine. We're going to spend uh, the rest of our, our time here before lunch doing a little bit of examine. And then um, we want to spend, Steve will go for uh, 15 or 20 minutes. And then at the very end here, we're going to do some prayer together instead of a large group. So try not to bug out on us because... I think it'll be really good for you to share and pray for each other. Thank you, Brenda, for being transparent and vulnerable with us. Uh, that was a gift. That was a gift. Um, and, and we want to honor that, absolutely. Um, all right, so um, that was some fantastic stuff. Um, but again, our posture towards Brenda was learning, and so we were leaning forward. So I just want to remind us, like, our posture for this is leaning back, get comfortable, um, receive from the Lord. So our jumping off passage this, mor this morning is Matthew 18. <clears throat> and I'll... Read that through, make a couple comments, and then I'll read it again. We'll have a little silence again to just soak in that and let the Lord speak to you in that and be present to you. And then we'll, I'll kind of go through the reflective questions.
At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Uh, Brenda shared earlier about um, the Latin root for passion being pati, right? Um, the thing, as I was reading uh, reading this this morning, that really jumped out at me was the, uh, of course, what we're talking about, humility. And the, um, the verse 4, it says, whoever humbles himself as this child. And um, again, the Latin root for humble, um, I think, is informative here. Uh, it, it's humus. No, it's not the stuff that you eat with pita bread. It's humus in Latin, which means earth, right? So humility, uh, to humble yourself, is to become earthy. And, and it's connected to, in terms of an earthy thing, being interconnected and interdependent, right? So humility doesn't have to do with like people walking over you or anything like that. It has to do with being, being embracing the interdependent nature of humanity, right? And who knows the dependence nature of life more than a child, right? All right, I read it again and we'll just have a couple moments of silence. <clears throat> At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like a children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. 